This episode is brought to you by our sponsors and by listeners like you on Patreon. Bomba's vision is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you are also giving to someone in need. Bombas has designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes you can't wait to put on every day. The Webb family over here has used them, and we love them. They're comfy, fun-looking, and come in family packs, which is awesome. I've never seen that before. I use my Bombas socks when I go on runs, and they're extremely comfortable. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a cozy feel. And the Bombas t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features like invisible seams, soft fabrics, and perfect waist so they hang just right. And did you know that socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters? That's why Bombas donates one for every item you buy. So far, Bombas customers like you have helped donate over 50 million items of essential clothing. Go to bombas.com slash purple rocket and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash purple rocket for 20% off. Bombas.com slash purple rocket. Parents, school's out, summer's here, and the kids are back at home with a lot of free time. Go wild with wonder this summer without school. Enroll in a fun, flexible learning experience with over 140,000 online classes and camps for every kid with any interest. Look, as a fellow parent, I get the pressure of finding something engaging and useful for our kids to do over the summer break. OutSchool can help keep them engaged and their minds stimulating their imaginations firing. They offer every kind of class you can imagine, from entrepreneurship to freestyle dancing to art, even magic lessons. There's something for kids of all ages, grades, and interests. We homeschool in the web house, and we plan to get Aurora and Cohen signed up with some out-school activities to keep them engaged in a fun way and help them explore their talents and maybe discover some new ones. Out-school will have your kids loving to learn and having fun doing it. Head over to outschool.com slash purple rocket and use code purple rocket to learn all about out-school summer programs and save $15 on your child's first class. That's O-U-T-S-C-H-O-O-L dot com slash purple rocket to save $15 on your child's first class. Outschool.com slash purple rocket code purple rocket. And don't forget, parents, supporting our sponsors is a great way to support this podcast. And now, back to our show. The Purple Rocket Podcast presents Space Train. Previously on Space Train, Doug and the cadets set out to rescue Dallas, who was being held prisoner in a comet space station run by Clay Bogan. During their mission, the cadets' special abilities started to reveal themselves as they came together and defeated the Claymen. While on the comet, Clay Bogan, a cocky man made of clay, told them that they were not the first crew to board the space train and that they are in fact wanderers, not cadets. Whatever that means. He also said something weird about him belonging to a group called the Class of Exiles. I know, confusing, right? 
you're not alone. When the cadets got back to the train, they headed straight for Goro, seeking answers. And now for Episode 5, The Orion Riders. Please sit down, said Goro from his chair. Doug and the cadets didn't move. They stood in the cockpit staring down at their robot conductor. A million questions jostled for position in Doug's mind. He didn't know where to start. Who were the wanderers? What was the class of exiles? What were these special abilities everyone seemed to know about except for him? What came first, the chicken or the egg? That last one was pretty low on the priority list. Who are the wanderers? Dallas asked, finally breaking their silence. He stood with his arms crossed and the little orange goo on his shoulder, Blobby, made angry eyes, trying to mimic Dallas's frustration. Goro's metal mustache frowned as he let out a sigh. <sighs> Before I explain, I want to assure you, all of you, that my intentions of keeping such information secret was merely for your own protection. Protection from what? Lydia asked. I'll get there. Goro turned to his cockpit screen and with a few taps brought up a floating image of a shiny logo. It was a metal crest surrounded by stars and planets. In the middle of it were the letters A and W inscribed and intertwined. Many, many years ago, an ancient institution was established to uplift and enlighten the universe. We called it the Academy of Wanderers, or the A.W., only extraordinary youth were admitted, and by extraordinary I'm not talking about amazing test scores or an impressive resume of extracurricular activities. These were youth who were special in different ways, ways that would help keep the peace throughout the galaxies. But unfortunately, not every student who passed through the academy desired peace and enlightenment. A small group of pupils began to meet in secret, plotting how they would take what they learned and use it to gain personal power, notoriety, and dominion over helpless worlds. Before their graduation, their plans were discovered by the administration, and they were swiftly expelled. In an act of retaliation, they staged an attack on the academy that brought ruin upon the institution and ended all classes indefinitely. And then they spread out as planned, selfishly building up their power one dominated world at a time. They called themselves the Class of Exiles. By the grace of the stars, a handful of young special pupils volunteered to embark on a mission to stop the exiles from wreaking havoc. Over the years, with much effort and sacrifice, a few of the exiles have been stopped, but several remain. This band of brave student volunteers became known as the Wanderers, for they wander the stars in their flying train, trying to bring the exiles to justice. Of course, the Wanderers aged, assumed new responsibilities in life, and could no longer dedicate their existence to the cause, which is why you are all here. You have each been chosen to continue the mission that they started. Doug and the others gaped at him. Goro stood. I know what you're thinking. I didn't sign up for this. Which is precisely why I chose to take you on easier educational missions before revealing so much. I wanted you to be prepared before I gave you the option to accept. Becoming a wanderer is 100% optional. I will not pressure you to accept, nor do I expect all of you to do so in light of recent events. Your encounter with Clay Bogan was unexpected and unfortunate. 
I thought the exiles were doing their bidding several light years from here, but my calculations were erroneous. What about these abilities you keep talking about? Doug asked. You keep saying we're special and that the Wanderers were special and that we have gifts and abilities. Behind him, the others looked at each other uncomfortably. Doug noticed their expressions. What? What do you guys know that I don't? Because as far as I'm concerned, the only special talent I have is being able to burp the ABCs. And even then, I usually gag when I get to O. Goro smiled. Dear boy, you are more extraordinary than you know. The fact that you haven't discovered it for yourself is unique for a wanderer. He nodded at Lydia. Lydia, apart from being a strong, smart young woman, can see several seconds into the future. Remember how she knew your purple rocket would break before it actually did? She saw Dallas bust out of his cell before he did so, and lured most of the guards away to make his escape easier. Stunned, Doug looked at Lydia, who was awkwardly avoiding eye contact by glancing at the walls and ceiling. Doug turned back to Goro. And him? He nodded to Leo. A technical super genius. He can learn virtually any system or program, no matter the language or code, in a matter of seconds. That control system in Clay Bogan's space station was state-of-the-art, supposedly impenetrable. Leo had attacked within a minute. What about Dallas? Let me guess. He has super surfing powers? Perhaps, but that's not why he was chosen. Dallas, when calm and concentrated, can fill his body with Dacro, a liquid metal that gives him incredible strength. It allowed him to pull his metal surfboard from the well of being on Mars and to break out of his prison cell on the comet. This ability, along with the others, aren't without their limitations, but as you've all witnessed, they are a critical component of making this team successful. And what about me? Doug was starting to feel like he didn't belong that Goro had somehow confused him for another person who did have a special ability. Maybe he wasn't supposed to be captain after all. He was just a normal kid. Goro paused for a moment and then flipped on a camera near the cockpit computer screen. It started to record. I'm going to ask you to perform a simple task to prove a point. Awesome. My special ability is performing simple tasks. Bear with me. I'd like you to build us a miniature model of the space train. Doug looked both ways. You're kidding, right? You want me to build a little toy space train? That is correct. Doug rolled his eyes and started pulling out knickknacks and trinkets from around the room, gluing them together with an adhesive he'd found in the supply cabinet. He pictured the miniature space train in his mind's eye and worked quickly with his hands to assemble it. When it was complete, it wasn't pretty. Far from it. But it did somehow manage to look like a mini train with its spray can engine, its glass shard windows, and washers and bolts that added enough detail to make it look mechanical. Doug set down the little toy inside, another unimpressive thing he'd thrown together. Goro smiled at him and the others stared in amazement. Doug was confused by their expression. Guys... My little sister can build better with Legos. Goro paused the camera and played back the recorded footage on the computer screen. Doug rolled his eyes and then watched as Goro issued him the challenge on the screen. The footage that followed made his hair stand up. 
He watched as the recorded version of himself held out his hands and summoned objects from around the room. Without laying a finger on them, he was somehow controlling the pieces to move and assemble themselves mid-air. Cans, bolts, and nuts floated around each other, twisting and pinching together until they took form. When the train was complete, he spread his hands apart and relaxed his intense concentration until the little model floated gently back onto the table. He had built the train with his mind. Doug's stomach jumped into his throat. For a second, he got lightheaded and thought he'd throw up. Dallas caught him before he could fall over and then sat him down in a chair. But how? How had he not known? It was too much to take in. Think of all the times you've built something you had no idea how to build, Goro said. Think of how it didn't seem to make sense until it was complete. The purple soda bottle rocket, the defective bomb on Mars, the pipe clamp on the comet. You, Douglas Colt, are a mind maker. As it is with all mind makers before they discover their gift, you see only what your mind wants to see. Your brain tries to make sense of what is happening, so it tricks itself into seeing you assemble it with your hands. It tries to ground the experience in some form of reality it is familiar with. Doug was too stunned to say a word. What could he say? Now that he saw it for himself, he couldn't deny it. And it all made sense. The confusing blur of the hands he had always seen when building something was just a mind trick his brain was playing to try to make sense of what was really happening. He was building things with his mind, summoning objects and assembling them at the speed of thought. He remembered his intricate Lego castles, the triple-seater trike, his elaborate multi-level treehouses. He rarely knew what he was doing, but somehow, in a confusing sequence of blurred events, they were built. Had his parents ever noticed? Surely when he was a toddler they'd seen something. Goro looked over the group. This is an awful lot to take in. I apologize for any confusion I may have caused. I promise you I meant no harm. I think you've all earned a break. Yes, something to take your mind off the news. Follow me, I have just the thing. The caboose? Lydia said excitedly. Heavens no! Unless dying is your definition of a break. Lydia sheepishly lowered her shoulders. It was a nice try. Goro led them to a car in the middle of the train, a few cars back from the Cosmic Café. Goro took them between two doors and then sealed them inside. With a pull of a lever, he sucked all the gravity out of the room. In seconds, they were floating off the ground. Goro held his hand to the code pad of the second door, making it slide open. As the light from the next room spilled in, the kid's eyes brightened. Welcome to the candy car, Goro said. Inside was a massive white room filled with swirling pipes of every color. Giant candy cane-like tubes curved and twisted along the walls. Spitting out of the tubes every few seconds was candy. Tons of candy. It shot out the pipes with a melodious blow, sending the candies floating across the room. Chocolates, sour belts, giant space gummies. There was enough candy to keep you sick for a lifetime. Like kids who'd fasted the week before Halloween, they flew after the treats. Leo grabbed at the fizzy floppers that fizzed, popped, and flopped between his cheeks with every bite. 
Lydia grabbed the fruity growing suckers that grew bigger with every lick. Dallas tried a choco gel, some kind of chocolate cup full of a sweet and tangy fruit gelatin. He gave Blobby a taste and the little creature went wild, bouncing off the walls and gobbling up every ounce of chocolate in its path. While everyone drifted around in flying candy heaven, Doug floated mindlessly across the room, stiff and bug-eyed. The shock of his recent discovery could not be dampered by levitating goodies. Occasionally his board-like body bounced off a wall and glided away. Outside, the sound of a siren interrupted their party. Don't mind that, Goro said. I'll go see what it's about. Stay here and enjoy yourselves. Doug, watch out for that pole. Ouch. Minutes later, the space train came to an abrupt stop. The cadets pulled themselves away from the candy car to investigate. When they reached the cockpit, they could see an odd character floating outside the main window. Sitting atop a hovering motorcycle was a spiky man wearing a blue jumper. The stern-faced alien looked almost like a porcupine. Long quills poked out through his clothes. Little green lights flashed in front of his hover-bike handles. Goro, is everything okay? Lydia asked. Everything's fine, my dear. Just getting a ticket. For what? Dallas asked. It appears we were speeding through the Orion Pass. I didn't realize we'd already made it so far. Had I known, I would have set it to cruise at half the speed. The Orion Pass Patrol is infamously strict with their enforcement. Oh well. The porcupine man outside tapped at a little screen and then swiped. The ticket soon appeared on the space train cockpit computer. Its giant numbers flashed green. Goro's head jerked back. Five thousand goobles? You can't be serious. The patrolman flared his quills. Don't get testy, Bob Brain. You were doing triple the speed limit and blew right by the check-in station. Triple my axles. The train was set to cruise much slower than what you're claiming. I was in the other room and didn't see the check-in station. The porcupine man angrily tapped on his screen and then swiped. A new number appeared in the cockpit. Ten thousand goobles! Another word and I double it. Goro sat back. We don't have ten thousand goobles. We'd have to sell several of our train cars. Better yet, half my body parts. Dallas shrugged. Guess we'll have to manage. Real funny. There has to be another option. Goro played with his metal mustache. He leaned into the intercom. Is there any other way to pay the fine other than goobles? Perhaps another form of currency? The porcupine patrolman thought for a moment and then said, You can always enter the race. If you place in the top two, I'll waive the fine. Goro shook his head. Race with what? This train? I've heard enough about your races to know we don't stand a chance. In that case, ten thousand goobleroos it is. Leo sat down next to Goro at the controls and grabbed onto the joysticks. He smiled and gave them a good squeeze. We can't win this race, Leo. It's a fool's errand. The Orion Pass race is full of tricky, no-good scallywags who try to win for fame and fortune at all costs. It's dirty and deadly. Do we have any other choice? Lydia asked. Come to think of it, we could sell the candy car. I wager it's worth around ten thousand or so. The kids all looked at each other. No! They almost all said in unison. Goro sighed, shook his head, and then leaned into the intercom. <sighs> the race it is. 
Goro and Leo brought the space train cruising up to the next check-in station, where every alien stopped to watch the massive hovering craft float into position. The check-in station was a small cramped room that looked like it was made of tinfoil, a floating piece of space trash. In contrast, behind it was the beautiful Orion Nebula, its cloud plumed with deep purples, blues, and pinks. Its vast beauty was mesmerizing, far nicer to look at than the check-in station and the drooling cronies that loitered it. A gang of hoverbikes floated into position next to the space train. On them were aliens with cringe-worthy appearances, a toad-skinned woman with arms for legs, next to her a jacket with grotesque bubbles popping out of the collar like someone blowing a straw into a cup of milk. Doug was pretty sure he even saw a baby with tattoos and a mohawk behind one of the bikes. The group only got weirder down the line. All of them wore matching black jackets with oversized popped collars. Surprised they didn't bring Grease Lightning, Dallas joked. Today's our lucky day, Goro said. We get to race the Orion Riders. Doug had finally snapped out of his prolonged stupor to be present. Are they slow? Slow to have mercy. I was being sarcastic. They're fast and ruthless, and they're the sorest losers you'll ever meet. This race is not going to end well. Just tell us what to do, Goreman, Dallas said. Stand by. We'll have to play it smart if we want to have a chance. Just then, the porcupine patrolman rode his hoverbike in front of the group. The race is to the planet Dobo and back. First one to pass this check-in station gets 2,000 goobles and this badge. He held up a cheap-looking badge, and to his disappointment, no one cheered. On with it, shouted a deep voice from the group. All right, all right, cool your mufflers. The rules are, there are no rules. To that, the group cheered. To your positions. Goro brought the front of the space train up to a laser line shooting across two floating beacons. Sputtering space buggies, hovering choppers, and even a guy in a jetpack floated up next to them and the Orion Riders. McGruff will be providing the music for today's race. The race starts at the sound of his music. A strong black man in a yellow jacket revved his hoverbike's engine and floated up next to the patrolman. The cool-looking DJ wore dark glasses and yellow fingerless gloves, and his black flat-top hairdo had lightning bolts buzzed into the sides. At his shoulders, built into his yellow jacket, were two boombox speakers. His hoverbike was tricked out near the handles with a mixer and turntable. He reached for the volume dial, and the racers revved their engines. The thin goatee around McGruff's mouth curled as he smiled. Time to get... He flipped the dial and the music on his shoulder speakers boomed. The race was on. Leo shoved the joysticks forward, sending the space train rocketing out towards the distant planet. The Orion Riders sped up ahead and formed a V in front of them. McGruff hovered alongside the race to provide a musical soundtrack for the event. With every exciting moment, he improvised a perfectly cued adjustment to his song. Two of the Orion Riders veered off in front of the giant red space buggy. With a quick flick of a pedal near their feet, black gucks shot out of their exhaust pipes and caked the buggy's windshield. Blinded, the driver swerved hard to the right, crashing into a man on a hovering unicycle. 
Leo and Goro barely steered clear of the wreckage. They pushed ahead, trying to make their way around the Orion Riders, but it was impossible. Every time they made an attempt to pass, the gang formed a blockade in front of them. The Riders ahead chuckled, and the gross bubble guy's bubbles popped gleefully in his collar. Up ahead, Goro could see asteroids coming into view. Set shields to 300%, he told Leo. Leo punched the numbers and pushed a slider. A hum vibrated the cockpit as a faint bluish glow formed around the train. Doug saw that little space rocks and debris were now bouncing easily off the train, some of them bursting into fire as they made contact. Massive asteroids filled their cockpit window. The giant rocks tumbled slowly towards them. If they look like they're going to collide, don't try to push through, Goro instructed. Don't forget we're 50 times longer than any other racers out here. Making the squeeze would be impossible. Look for the widest gaps. They reached the first wave of asteroids and veered up, making the train slither over the top of the first two floating mountains. But as they crested the second, a third asteroid ricocheted hard off another right into their path. Leo reacted almost instantly, jerking the joysticks to the left and making the train pitch a steep downward arc just out of the way of the crushing rock. The caboose at the end of the train narrowly skimmed it on their way down. Riders left and right and front and to the rear crashed into the asteroids or gave up and turned back. Beyond the asteroid field, they could see the planet Dobo getting closer. They were almost to the turnaround. The toad-skinned Orion Rider rode up alongside the jetpacker and sabotaged his jets with an explosive sticky wart. Flailing out of control, the racer and his sparking jetpack sputtered off course. All that was left was the space train and the Orion Riders. One last monstrous asteroid shadowed over them. Goro panicked. It's too large. We can't swing around it. We'll lose half the train. Dallas put his hand over his heart. Well, dudes, it's been an honor serving with you. Leo ignored them. Biting his outstretched tongue as he focused, he hit the boost and rocketed straight for the middle of the asteroid. Oh my gosh, we're gonna die! Doug shouted. Lydia braced for impact. Leo, what are you doing? The space train sped right at a small hole with a pinpoint of light in the middle of it. Whoa! The kids yelled as the train shot right into the hole. Darkness filled the cockpit as they could hear scrapes and squeaks outside the train's metal walls. Chunks of rock broke off the insides of the tunnel and fizzled on the cockpit's shield. Leo focused intensely on the pinpoint of light up ahead that was growing the deeper they flew. One last jerk of the joystick and they spat out the tunnel on the other end of the asteroid like a worm through an apple. The cadets cheered. Goro made some kind of weird robot shriek they could only assume was excitement. Only three more Orion Riders were left ahead of them. The others must have been stopped by the floating mountain. Next to them flew DJ McGruff, blasting his soundtrack and looking like this was an everyday event, hardly out of the ordinary. His voice sounded through the space train's intercom. Ho oh, oh, ho, that was pretty nasty what you did back there, he said in a cool, calm tone. Coolest move I've ever seen. But y'all playing too nice. If you're going to win this thing, it's time to get tricky. This isn't church, boys. When you reach the turnaround point, we have orders to have y'all go under the asteroid field on the way back. Most of the rocks have already drifted upward, so you should be clear. He revved his engine. Beat these suckers. <laughs> 
Goro and Leo turned around once they reached Dobo's checkpoint and then hit the boost, heading back towards the check-in station. They rocketed after the remaining Orion riders, gaining on them quickly. Goro looked out at the cloudy Orion Nebula to their right. Nebula. Interstellar clouds of hydrogen, dust, helium, and other gases, Goro mumbled. Doug pointed up ahead as they closed in on the riders. Now's not the time for one of your lessons, Goro. Goro ignored him. Nebula are stellar nurseries, the place where stars are born. An idea was making its way through circuit boards and gears inside his metal head. That nebula is going to make you a star. He started pulling levers and punching buttons in a blur. Lydia, open the engine's exhaust vents and reverse the flow to suction. Give it all it's got. Lydia ran back to the furnace room. Dallas, Doug, go back and shovel as much stardust into the furnace as you can. When I give you word, run back with Lydia. Doug and Dallas nodded and ran back to the engine room. Together they shoveled the glittering powder into the furnace while Lydia pulled rusty levers and turned wheels. Hisses and chugs rang out as they worked. A minute later, Goro chimed in on the intercom. Back to the cockpit! The kids ran back to the cockpit and saw the finish line up ahead. They were barely behind the Orion Riders. There was no way they could win. But then Goro pulled one last lever and the train began to suck in the dust from the nebulous cloud. The powerful sucking made them lag back even further from the leaders. McGruff blasted his music, the song crescendoing as they neared the finish line. Goro let the vents vacuum in as much as they could handle. I need all the hydrogen I can get. Goro, you've had some pretty bad ideas, bro, Dallas said. But this one blows them all out of the water. That's exactly what I'm going to do. Kill it! Leo cut the engines and all power to the train. Darkness filled the cockpit. The riders were nearly at the finish line up ahead. Punch it! Goro shouted. Leo threw the throttles and the train jolted forward with a ferocious force. Sparks and fire jetted out the vents under the train and sent them rocketing ahead of the riders just before the finish line. The nebula's fiery gases blew them off their bikes as the space train zipped past them. They'd won! The cadets celebrated with Goro, jumping up and down in the cockpit. We're keeping the candy car, Dallas sang. The porcupine patrolmen reluctantly waved their ticket, awarded them the 2,000 goobles, and hesitantly handed them the cheap-looking badge as if he was giving away his daughter in marriage. Goro held up the badge. To Leo, for his outstanding maneuvers. The cadets clapped as Goro pinned the cheap plastic to Leo's shirt. Leo, of course, didn't say a word. He just blushed. Uh Uh-oh, Lydia said, looking out the cockpit window. The defeated Orion riders were coming up to them, and they didn't look happy. Before they could reach the cockpit, DJ McGruff rode his bike in front of them. What do you boys think you're doing, he said. It's mighty kind of y'all to come give the winner a washdown. Not quite, said the toad-skinned woman. They cheated. They used the nebula. Ah, ah, the rules are there are no rules. And if I'm not mistaken, y'all crashed every other rider out there. You ain't no saints on wheels. They won. Now turn yourselves around and go home. Not without my money. The riders sprang for the cockpit, but as they did, McGruff pulled out a blaster with a speaker on the end and pulled the trigger. Blah! 
Music blared from the blaster and shot a powerful sound wave into the riders, making them fly back. Come any closer and I'll hit the base, McGruff threatened. Scowling and red-faced, the riders packed up and rode away. McGruff spun his rusty sound blaster back into its holster and then popped the collar of his yellow jacket. Man, was he cool. He waved at the cockpit window. Sorry about that. Name's Mixon McGruff. Goro waved back. Pleased to make your acquaintance. We are the Space Train Cadets, and we thank you sincerely for your assistance. Eh, it was nothing. Those riders deserved worse. Now where y'all heading? We're trying to make it through the Orion Pass, hopefully in good time. I'll escort you. Never know when those Orion riders will try to gang up on you. Goro bowed his head. Much obliged. Mixon McGruff led them through the Orion Pass. While they rode, they talked, but kept the details to a minimum. McGruff seemed like an honorable fellow, but out in these parts it takes a lot more to trust a man. As they started their orbit around the planet Dobo, a message came through the intercom. McGruff was picking it up too. Static fizzed through the speaker, a voice barely breaking through every few seconds. It's coming from Dobo, Goro said. He twisted a few knobs until the voice was clear. Please, if there's anyone out there who can hear us, please help, the voice pleaded. Goro turned up the volume and looked out at McGruff to see if he was listening. McGruff nodded and flipped a switch, making the voice chime through his shoulder speakers. Please, someone. Something is shrinking everything around us. We don't know what's happening, but the buildings, the mountains, everything, it's, it's shrinking. We're shrinking! Mixon McGruff pointed at the green and blue planet next to them. A dusty shockwave was making its way across the surface. It spread quickly until it had covered the entire planet. Then, with a blinding flash of light, it started to shrink. They all watched as what was once a massive cloud-covered sphere dissolved into a little speck against the black blanket of space. What just happened? Lydia asked. Blobby trembled on Dallas's shoulder. Goro stared out the cockpit window. No, anybody but him. In the distance, a small ship was heading right for them. You've been listening to Space Train, a production of the Purple Rocket Podcast. Don't forget to check out the cool lesson that comes with this episode at purplerocketpodcast.com. And tune in next Monday for an all-new episode. This is your host, Greg Webb, and thank you for listening.